Welcome to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Our desire is to help you advance in your faith journey no matter where you are. For more information on our church, please check out cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. Hope you're having a great week. Thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to next weekend when we are going to have another one of our outdoor get-togethers and uh, looking forward to seeing some faces. Hopefully it maybe couldn't make it last time. It was a couple years ago that my wife and I had this opportunity to take students to camp for summer camp in Pennsylvania. And uh, where it was located in Pennsylvania was right on the border of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Part of the campground we stayed at was pretty cool because the Delaware River was right there. And of course, the other side of the Delaware River was New Jersey. So we took our students down there and we were just hanging out. They had like, you know, they could ski and tube and all this stuff there. But some of our students got really ambitious because they knew that if they walked across or swam across the river, which wasn't really deep at that uh, area, uh, they would be in New Jersey. And they could brag and tell all their friends, hey, I swam to New Jersey. So a couple of them did that. And they would start across, and let's say they were lined up with me, and because of the current of the river, most of them weren't even noticing at the time, but they kept shifting further and further downstream, whether they were swimming or walking. Uh, just the current pushed enough against them that it would start pushing them down and they would catch themselves. They'd be like, oh, wow, I'm starting to drift. Let me swim back up because otherwise they'd float all the way down to Philadelphia, which would be a blessing, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, they would have to swim back upstream to get back to where they were and then it would happen again and again. And it, it, they ended up swimming and walking a lot more than they had intended. <laughs> it wore a lot of them out. They got to the other side, they got to brag, yay! Then they had to come back across and they went through the whole thing again. By the time they would get back, they were exhausted. Uh, they got uh, offline from where they were and they had to correct it and that took a lot more effort to get back to the right spot. And they were exhausted as a result. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been to the ocean or maybe it was a river or something and the current, you know, sometimes carries you and you have to adjust to get back. And it takes a lot of effort. All of us, I believe, are feeling this right now in a cultural context. We see where we were, and due to modern culture and things that are building up in our culture, whether it's through technology, philosophy, worldview, etc., cetera, uh, we're beginning to notice that maybe we're shifting, or the church is shifting, or the businesses in town are shifting, or our schools are shifting, and we see that, and at first we don't even notice it. It's very subtle. But then when we sort of look back and see where we were, we're like, oh man, we're way far off the mark. We need to get back to where we were. And so we uh, start to push ourselves against the current and it's hard and it's exhausting. And sometimes we just give up and we're like, it's just easier to go with the, the currents. It's easier to flow with that. Uh, culture is changing so much. And sometimes it's just easier to go with it than to resist it. And I'm not saying we should always resist it. And we can unpack that over the next few weeks as we take a look at the book of Daniel. But uh, think of this. A year ago, uh, you might have been familiar with Zoom. Now, we know Zoom. You may be 70. You know Zoom. Everybody knows Zoom now. If I would have told you a year ago, 
that Zoom was gonna become a staple in our lives a year later, you would probably have rolled your eyes at me and said, I'm not into the technology thing. Now we don't have a choice. A year ago, you might have been familiar with the movement Black Lives Matter. Now, it's everywhere. You see it in the NBA, in the NFL. A year ago, you, you would not probably have known what the phrase social distancing means. You would have probably scratched your head and say, is that an introvert? Uh, uh, social distancing now is everywhere. It, wherever you go, you're supposed to social distance. A year ago, um, we didn't know anything in regards to online church, or we were very early in that stage of online church. Now you're tuning in on online church. Things changed in less than a year. And, and you compound that, in my case, I'm 45. You think back to the things I've seen in my lifetime. I've seen the fall of the USSR. I remember the Cold War, the very end of it. I remember the fall of the Berlin Wall. I remember other things. I remember things such as uh, the rise of the internet. I remember my first email address because I still have it. Hotmail.com, oh yeah. I'm not gonna give you the rest of it. I don't need you to spam me, but uh, you, you, I've seen that. I've seen the birth of rap music. I've seen cassettes moving to streaming music and VHS tapes moving, or Laserdisc if you really wanna go old school. Uh, VHS tapes. Now, with Netflix, so much has changed, and churches even, where we went from hymns of my childhood and praise courses to Hillsong. Things change fast. Some of you have lived longer than I have. You've seen even more change than I have in less than 100 years. Culture changes all the time. And I hate to say this, it's not slowing down. It's not slowing down. It's getting faster and faster and faster, the changes that we see. We are at a cultural turning point. As you know, with the upcoming election and, and all that comes with that, there are competing worldviews and completing, uh, competing philosophies of life that are going to war against each other. We're becoming more and more divided. Worldview and culture are changing constantly. And it's changing faster because think of this. Whereas 50 years ago, if I wanted to start a movement, it would require lots of meetings in person. It would require snail mail. It would require, uh, you know, trying to get a, a, a group of them together and you would have to figure out how to work tickets and rent places and all that without being able to go online and do it. Now, all I have to do is send out a tweet, a thought and people are impacted. Millions of people around the world instantly impacted by what I say. Culture is changing fast. And culture, at the same time, is also becoming more and more hostile to those who hold to faith. And I'm not even just talking Christianity. It's becoming more and more irreligious, post-religious, if you will. I'm not saying this to be a fear monger and, and think that all of a sudden we're all going to be locked up because we're Christian or we meet in the church. I, I'm not there. I'm just sort of stating the obvious. You see, Christianity used to be the majority religion. People with religious faith were the majority of the United States, and that is changing rapidly to the fact that we are no longer the majority. And when we are no longer the majority, that means things will change. Those that are the majority will set the rules, the priorities, the worldview.
and the, uh, should we say, benefits of being the majority that we had as Christians or people of religious faith, uh, that is no longer guaranteed. It's changing. Because we don't have that seat of power, if you will, or decision-making. And things that we once enjoyed, freedoms we once enjoyed, are changing. When this happens, we have to figure out how in the world do we live faithful to God and still live in the world and not be of it. You know, you might decide to retreat. Some of you may choose to uh, resist. or Some of you may not know what to do. Over the next few weeks, I want us to think about this because I'm going to take a look at a biblical example, and there's lots of them, of someone, and I should say somebodies, who lived in a hostile anti-God culture and never lost their faith. They stayed true to it. We are going to take a look at the book of Daniel. We're going to take a look at four young men who chose to be faithful to God in the midst of a hostile culture to what they believed. Today I want us to start um, in Daniel chapter 1. Let me give you some uh, background to this first. Uh, Daniel covers the year 605 BC through about 536 BC. And this is the actual BC before Christ, not before COVID. So uh, 605 BC is when we pick up. At this time, Israel is a divided nation. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, has basically been overtaken uh, by Nineveh, or, or by uh, Assyria, I should say, who has had dominion over them. Well, this changes, because right before 605 BC, the Babylonian kingdom, led by Nebuchadnezzar the king, comes in and conquests over Palestine. He sacks it. And part of him taking over uh, Palestine, Jerusalem in particular, was he did two things that we know from Scripture. He took a lot of the, the religious artifacts from the temple, these holy pieces of uh, furniture and, and things that were part of worshiping God. He took those and he put those back in Babylon, which is just south of where modern-day Baghdad is. He put them in the temples of his gods. And the second thing he did is where our story begins, and that is that he took a lot of the youth, from, uh, from Jerusalem and from Judah and took them back, separated them from their friends and family, separated them from their culture and put them in the midst of Babylon. And that is where we pick up in Daniel chapter 1. You can follow along on the screen. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 3, says this. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. He's been very particular. He says, I want some of the noble people from Israel. Bring them in. We're going to train them to serve me now. And verse 4 says that Ashpenaz was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. This is the first thing that he did. Not only did he separate them from their families, but now he wants them to be taught Babylonian literature and, and all about their culture. He wants to begin to indoctrinate them. In verse 5, he goes, it goes on and says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they would enter the king's service. Now he's beginning to give them really good food, 
really good wine. They get the best of the best because they're being trained to be the king's service, the servants. And not only that, but hey, if you get the best of the best, who wouldn't like that king? Who wouldn't want to be loyal to that king? They're getting steak and wine every night. How great a position is that to be in? But then in verse 6, it goes on. It says this, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now you may not know who these people are, but they're more known by the names given to them in Babylonia. The chief official gave them the new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. That one you're probably not as familiar with. But then to Hananiah, he became Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know where this story might be going. This is a classic strategy of conquest, uh, where if a country wanted to take over another country and have influence on it, you take the youth, you separate them from their family, their friends, their culture, you begin to win them over with good things. You start to train them. You begin to indoctrinate them with your truth. You begin to make them dependent upon you for their food and livelihood, and they see what a wonderful person you are. And then they try to change your identity. And the way that they try to change your identity is not just take you away from your faith or your religious beliefs or your culture, they begin to even change your very names. The names uh, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, and so on, those were names that all contained the name of either Yahweh or El, the God of Israel. And they changed their names instead now to Babylonian names that had the names of their gods, Bel and Marduk and Akab. All of these names now was a part of their names. They were changing their identity, that they would forget who they were and assume this new identity and think about how wonderful this king was. Classic strategy of conquest. You've seen this even with the Nazis and Hitler youth, that the influence of the parents was taken away and they become dependent upon and loyal to the state leader, Adolf Hitler. It goes on. In verse chapter 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. A couple things with this real quick. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Uh, some of this food would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian idols. Some of the wine would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian idols. Not all of it. Mainly probably would have been the meat and the wine. He didn't want to defile himself. He knew that that was wrong according to Scripture, according to the laws given to the nation of Israel. But not all of it was necessarily unclean. Some of it would never have been used as a sacrifice. Yet Daniel saw it as defiling himself if he partook of it. He resolved not rebelled. He didn't just say, well, I'm not going to eat this. He resolved and made a decision. He was going to stay true to what he knew was God's truth, not the new culture that was trying to indoctrinate him. This was an inward determination that he had and a conviction that he must, be, he must hold even tighter 
onto what he believed about God and his relationship with him. In verse 12, it says that now God, well, in verse 9, it said that God had caused the official to show favor and compassion towards Daniel. God was at work in the heart of a pagan, one that did not believe in him. And in verse 12, Daniel says, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, here's what's interesting about this. There's lots of conflicting thoughts about why they requested vegetables and water. There's people that will say, well, this is the advantage of the vegetarian diet. That actually didn't have much to do with this. There were those that, as I said, you know, thought that they just want to avoid anything that was sacrificed to an idol. That, that could be part of it. I think it's probably a combination of things. But more importantly, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went overboard doing more than they really had to do. They could have eaten more of the food that had not been sacrificed to idols, but they chose to reduce it down to just the bare minimum as a reminder to them of their dependence on God, not on Nebuchadnezzar. Whereas the other countrymen that were there that were enjoying all the benefits with the food and the wine, they were enjoying what Nebuchadnezzar gave to them, and they were probably becoming more loyal to him than the God of Israel. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they would not. In fact, they, took, they kicked it up a couple notches to reduce it down to what they did. There were other things they could have eaten and not become unclean, but they took it to an extreme. And in this, they honor God. God would honor them in return, and we see in a second. But one other thing with this is they did this together. They did this as companions. They needed the encouragement and accountability of each other to maintain their integrity, to maintain their faith, to be uh, true and faithful to God, to maintain their fidelity. Now, verse 15 it goes on and says this, at the end of 10 days, now that they've done this diet, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> well, uh, here's what's interesting about this. It says they looked healthier and better nourished. The word there is basically fat of flesh is what the original word means. I don't know if that's flattering, but think of this. They've been eating for 10 days just vegetables and water, and they give the appearance of healthier and fatter in flesh. That's not normally associated with having a vegetarian diet. What happened there? I mean, the other uh, countrymen there that are eating the, the food and the wine should be putting on the pounds, let me tell you, if that's all they're eating. God honored them. God actually supernaturally helps them get stronger, better looking, and even put on some weight with just eating the veggies that they were eating and the water that they were drinking. God honored them because they honored him. On top of this, if you continue reading the passage, uh, which you can do on your own through verse 20, uh, God gives these four young men, about 16 years old, uh, a special ability to understand all of the Babylonian stuff that they're being taught and to give them intelligence and wisdom and discernment better than any of the other countrymen that they had. And as a result, this caught the eye of one king known as Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar, after three years, grills them, tests them, asks them uh, all sorts of difficult questions, and they are able to answer them all, unlike the rest of their countrymen. And Nebuchadnezzar is blown away at it. They were honoring to God, and God honored them and blessed them with supernatural ability to fulfill their roles. And as a result, they were exalted. Nebuchadnezzar gave them roles in the kingdom, higher roles than anyone else from their home country, simply because they stayed true to God and they had each other to keep each other on point. God honors those that honor him. There's something for us to learn about this as we look at our modern culture. Uh, One thing I also wanted to point out is that they didn't refuse to learn Babylonian culture. They didn't say, well, that's not Israelite. We don't believe in the Babylonian truth and literature and art. No, they did learn it because that made them wiser and more grounded in what they believed. I encourage you, become a student of culture, but also become a student of other world religions and viewpoints because it will help sharpen and refine what you believe about Jesus. How did they not become assimilated easily? They just made an intentional commitment to maintain their integrity, to do right when no one else is looking. And on top of that, they held each other accountable. They picked each other up. They encouraged each other. They made sure no one got out of line or had a weak moment. They knew they needed each other. It was truly a band of brothers that kept each other from compromising. I'll say this, peer pressure is real in adult life. It's just called groupthink. Right now we are going through almost a little bit of a neo-Puritanism, that if you don't hold the beliefs of the culture or the beliefs and worldview of what is commonly accepted by a majority of people or seemingly a majority of people, that you are shamed, you are guilted, you are canceled out of society because you aren't doing what everybody else is doing. That's peer pressure. It's not just for teenagers anymore. It's you do what we say. And it's just like what we saw the Puritans do in early American history. My big idea this morning is that accountability supports integrity and grounds identity. Accountability supports integrity and grounds identity. I really have two takeaways out of that thought. Is that number one, uh, commitment to integrity matters. Being committed to doing right when no one else is looking matters. It matters. I, I think about this. These are 16-year-olds who are taken away from their family, friends. They could have done anything they wanted. But they stayed true to God. It's, like, it's almost like going off to college. You hear the stories. Some of you probably have your own. When you first went to college, it's like, freedom! We get to do what we want! Yeah! All that. These men, instead of living wildly like they could have, and rebellion turning on everything they knew, they expected and lived out integrity. We must, too, commit to integrity in our life and fidelity to Christ. Secondly is that accountability matters. God gave Daniel courage, but he also gave him companionship. We need people around us that are just as faithful to Christ as anything else. If we're faithful to him, we need to surround ourselves with others like him. 
because that is going to help us grow in our faith. That's going to help keep us maintaining our integrity to hold others or to have others hold us accountable to our faith. As culture changed, you must be intentional in staying grounded in your beliefs and not compromise truth because I believe in objective truth. And I believe the Bible teaches objective truth, not subjective. We have to be more grounded in truth and have people help us with this. My challenge for you as we move forward into this world that we are in is to focus on your relationships and core beliefs. Focus on your relationships and core beliefs. What do you believe according to the Bible? Not just what do you feel is right. What does the Bible teach you is true? What are those core beliefs that you have? And not just that, who is in your life that is helping, who shares those values and beliefs, who are going to uplift you and hold you accountable and ground you and make sure you don't veer off. We need accountability and we need integrity. And it grounds our identity in Christ. Remember, you live differently. There will eventually come a time where the church is completely irrelevant to the outside world where we are just so, so different because the world is going its direction without God and we are going towards God that there's going to come a point where we are virtually totally irrelevant. We have to realize, yes, because we're light in a dark world. Surround yourself with those who are going to hold you in integrity and be committed to the truth of God's word Just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Be wise about the culture that you live in and don't be passive. They learned about the culture around them. Be a student of what's going on. Understand it so that you can be effective in communicating what you believe to those who hold different beliefs. Accountability is absolutely needed in church right now. There have been too many stories over the last few years of great saints, great Christians, especially very visible ones. Sadly, breaking, you know, my heart, some of these is, is uh, Bill Hybels, who had a big influence on me, to other cases of another pastor named James McDonald. You've heard stories about Jerry and Becky Falwell Jr. And now, unfortunately, one that is very near and dear to many of us, Robbie Zacharias, and some accusations that are being thrown out about him since he has now passed. I'm not talking about, are all these accusations accurate or not? I am talking about this. In most of these cases, no one was there to hold them accountable. No one was there to push them to love and good deeds, to walk in holiness, to be faithful to God. There's lots of reasons we could go into why with that. But I just know that when we surround ourselves with people that are seeking our good to following Jesus, it makes a difference in our integrity. We need it. We need it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Daniel. Help us to see how to live out our faith in this world as we move forward. God, give us wisdom and discernment. Surround us with people that love you and are going to push us to be faithful to you. Lord, help us to live lives of integrity that no one will be able to find any blame in us, that we stay true to you above all things. God, may the church stick out more and more. 
in a world that is in desperate need of you. Help us to stand out and to be different. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.